Welcome to Real Estate Hackers, where you'll hear how real estate investors grew something from nothing. Property management is going to become more technical. Our entire business today is based off of a hack. What if you could put $1,000 into an apartment building project on your phone? With YouTube, with podcasts, you can catch up very quickly to a seasoned investor. Now here's your real estate hacker host, Chad Gallagher. Welcome to the Real Estate Hackers Show, where we talk to actual investors who use systems and tech to scale out their business and where they see this all going in the future. Before we get to this week's guest, a few words from our partners and friends of the show. This show is brought to you by Red Rabbit Insurance. As a real estate investor, I love working with companies and people who truly understand investing. If you're a real estate investor, I highly suggest talking to Ryan at Red Rabbit Insurance. Red Rabbit specializes in working with investors of all sizes, both for their personal residence, auto, and investment properties. Red Rabbit recently saved one of our investors $5,000 a year by switching to the exact same coverage. That's a down payment on a new rental. I personally saved 15% by switching to Red Rabbit, which is pretty significant. And Red Rabbit Insurance makes it super easy to get a quote. All you need is the address, your full name, and your date of birth. No annoying questionnaires to fill out, and Red Rabbit gets you a quote in less than a day. Email ryan at redrabbitinsurance.com or go to the website redrabbitinsurance.com or call 1-800-560-3015. That's redrabbitinsurance.com. Call today to save some money and get better insurance rates for your investments. What is up, guys? I am pumped. Got Mark Delfini in the house today. Uh, super awesome investor, author, coach, all things real estate investing. Mark, man, thanks so much for joining us today. The real man, it's so good. Podcast. It's so good to be here. It really is. I'm. Uh, my mood is like off the charts because it's actually sunny outside. <laughs> so, yeah, it's nice. It is nice. Yeah, it's uh, it's like late May. Weather's getting nice. Hopefully, COVID is on the the tail end of being a awful pandemic. And uh, yeah, it's a nice time of year, isn't it? It is, man. It's it, it's been a long, lonely, cold winter. <laughs> yes, it's summer to start already. Yes, yeah, no kidding. So cool, Mark. Well, look, um, I want to talk through kind of you know how you got into real estate. You know, you wrote a book, The Time Wealthy Investor. I guess maybe before we talk about that book, do you want to maybe kind of talk about like why you wrote that book and and uh, you know kind of how you went through this? Uh, you know, it was it was actually probably a pretty tough time in your life, I imagine. Yeah, it was, it was awful. Um, I guess it, it, with most stories, it's, you know, it's better to start at the beginning. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, when I was in the Marines, I, um, knew that I wanted to get a, an education and get out of, get out of the Marine Corps. And, um, and I always knew I wanted to kind of do my own thing, even though I didn't know what that thing was, but I always had an interest in real estate. So when I got out of the Marines, I got accepted to Purdue and um, I was in their hospitality program. Then I went into their, their management program and got a degree in accounting. But while I was at Purdue, I was very interested in looking at some of the local real estate that was going on. And um, I actually had, at that point, had purchased, uh, it was just shy of 40 acres of, of raw land down in Arizona. Now, it was really cool because it, it was a neat area. There wasn't much, um, uh, wasn't much building going on. It was kind of in the middle of nowhere. But it was cool because um, it was right up against some federal land, and um, I was kind of in that, uh, you know, that Grand Canyon-ish area, you know, that, in northern Arizona. Mm-hmm. Well, it was really cool owning a piece of property, but what was not cool is I'm, you know, I, there was no income coming in, and every year I had to write a stroke a check for taxes and stuff like that. 
So I was thinking, well, you know, let's look at this in a different way. Let's look at some income producing property. So um, I started buying real estate while I was in college and I figured out really what the banks were looking for in terms of, you know, borrowing and lending and all that stuff. And I had, uh, I, by the time I got out of college, I had about a dozen rental units, just a little over half a million dollars worth of real estate. So um, while I was there, I mean, that's, it's funny, even though people say, well, where'd you get your education? I said, well, Purdue is what I paid for. My real education is afterwards. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I kind of got my, my start there and, uh, you know, I was doing everything that everybody was saying that, you know, using OPM, you know, other people's money, you know, leverage, you know, borrow as much as you can, you know, and uh, that way I can, you know, I can, I can keep leveraging and keep leveraging and keep leveraging. The so you, were doing was, like, you were doing like no money down type deals, yeah, either seller financed or uh, private money kind of handling some of that down deposit, you know, highly levered, but, but it, we're able to build up a, you know, a, what, what, at least at the time looks like a really nice portfolio there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was doing everything that I see people doing today, you know, like, you know, sucking equity out of one property to leverage it and pyramid up and, um, and all that stuff. I was doing all that. And, um, I, I had managed to scrap and scrape together all these hodgepodge of creative financing deals and I had a, I built up a, a six million dollar real estate portfolio, ninety two rental units, wow. just uh, right around six million dollars worth of real estate. Wow, that's all. And how old were you at the time? You're like twenty five. Uh, no, I didn't get out of the core until I was twenty four. So that, by that point, I was probably around thirty two. Okay, yep. sure. I mean, still a young age to have uh, five million dollars in real estate. You're probably feeling like the world's. It, your oyster. I mean, yeah. you know, you're, you can do anything you want. This is like 2008 timeframe. Yeah. So it was probably around uh, 2006. Um, and I was, um, you know, and I was, you know, I was just building, building, building. And I had, uh, it was um, 92 rental units in total. Now, just like you said, I mean, I was, you know, I should have had you know, from the outside looking in, people just looked at me and go, man, this guy's crushing it, right? Just the back of the napkin math, they could figure, well, he's bringing in somewhere between fifty dollars and $60,000 a month in rent. I mean, he should be crushing it, right? Yeah. And, you know, there's, you know, keep in mind, there is this one little pesky thing called leverage, right? That I had to satisfy every single month. And when I... um you know, the, that 60 to 60, it was actually $65,000 a month in rent revenues that were coming in each month. Um, that was month over month over month. And I'm sitting here thinking about it. And I, and I got to 92 rental units. And of course, I'm like, you know, I say now I'm just, I was stuck on stupid because I didn't really have a vision for what I was trying to accomplish. It was just more, like more must be better. Yeah. So let me just keep doing more. Let me see if I can get to 100, then 200, then 1,000, you know, whatever. But I knew the system that I had, the, where I was at, it was just not, there was not any scale to it whatsoever because I had created this horrible job for myself. In fact, it wasn't just one horrible job. It was a series of little jobs that were, that collectively were just awful. And there was no way that I could have, I mean, if I did buy additional properties, there was no way that I could have served them any better than, than I was already doing the, the current 92, right? So, 
you know, as things, you know, were rolling on, I'm sitting here thinking like, how in the world am I going to get, you know, do this for another 25 to 30 years once these properties start paying yeah, off? Let me just pause you there. So, I mean, it sounds like one of the problems was uh, you were basically doing everything, right? Like you were, there weren't, there weren't any systems in place. You were, if, if you were on vacation or something, the whole business was in trouble. Is that, is that fair? That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. And, and I know, I mean, I'm just going to, I'll skip to the end for those people who, you know, have a, have a shorter bandwidth of, for attention span, but, you know, just, just listen to me. If you get nothing else out of this conversation, when you're underwriting properties, right, when you're looking at a property and when you're doing your cash flow analysis, every line item that you put on there, right, that's basically a job that you're paying for, right? It, the, the property needs to be able to pay for that line item. So if we're talking about advertising and, and leasing, right? If you don't budget for advertising and leasing, guess what? That's a job you create for yourself, yeah. okay? Yeah. If you don't budget adequately enough for maintenance and repairs, guess what? That's a job you create you. for yourself. <laughs> yeah, right. right, right. I mean, I mean, because somebody has to do those different things. Right. And, and the problem is, one of the points to invest, and I guess this is probably where you're going, but is to create more time for yourself. And so if investing is actually creating less time for yourself, because now you're doing these, these very task-oriented jobs, I'm not sure you're any better off. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. So that, even though you're, to your point, you know, that line item needs to pay for a system that you have in place, right? And you, you know, if I'm looking at an investment now, I'm not looking at how much money I can get, but how much is that going to, is that gonna, how much time is that going to free up for me? So if I'm going to look to take on an additional five, 10, 25 units, you know, how much more bandwidth do I get from those additional units? Um, not how much more money, because again, the money's easy. The money's actually not the hard part. The hard part is to do it and, 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 and it's not even that it's complex. It's just you have to be intentional about it, be deliberate about it. But what are those individual line items that are on there that are going to create, that are not going to create a job for yourself, right? right? So that's why I say to drive that point home, when you're doing that cash flow analysis, everything that every, I mean, think about it, every single line item on there that you don't budget for is a job that you just created for. And it, and it has to be paid for, which means if you have to pay for it, you know, you have to pay for it out of your job. You have to pay for it out of maybe one of you have a winning uh, couple properties for those of you who've got properties out there already. It's going to, you're going to have to fund it in some way, or you're going to fund it with your free time. So then talk me through this. I think I, I want to have a point here. Um, this is like 2008, 2009, 2010. Obviously, like that's the last major depression that we had. It, it sure looks like we're heading into it where we are in a, in a, in another major depression that looks a lot like that. Talk to me about kind of the impact to your real estate portfolio over those years. What was yeah. it? Was it quick? Was it like a, a slow burn? What, what kind of happened and how'd you eventually get to the other side of things? Yeah, it's like, um, it, it was awful. <laughs> it was absolutely <laughs> terrible. So, you know, I'm, I'm out there. Um, I'm, I'm trying to make it happen. And I'm not afraid of work. I'm not afraid of hard work. Like, you know, just yesterday, I, I, I enjoy actually doing physical labor. I enjoy that side of the business. You know, if I had a million dollars in the bank, I would still do that side of it because I enjoy that work. Just yeah. yesterday, I was uh, sanding some floors at a, at a flip we're doing. I like that type of work, right? Yeah. But the problem is when that's the, that when you have no choice and you're working 16, 18, 20 hours at a stretch, 
and you're doing not just the maintenance, but also the, the leasing, the showings, the cleaning, the maintenance, the, uh, you know, getting the mail, doing all the banking, doing the bookkeeping. I mean, it becomes this, this awful level of, uh, of tasks that no one person can possibly do. So, you know, I went from the $65,000 a month, one month, next month, it went to $30,000. It's because everybody, you know, I was renting to, you know, I, I was buying asset classes that I had no business being in. I was buying an asset class that required such a high degree of maintenance. It was attracting clientele that needed a very high degree of management. So these were people that would call me up and say, oh, you know, you can come pick up your rent. Like I like, oh, thank you. I was waiting on your call. Right. Like I had nothing else to do. So, so these, were, these were mostly like lower end properties. Is that yeah, fair? they were. Yeah. 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 So they, these are people who didn't value their time. Why would they value my time? Right. right, right, right. So, you know, it went from, you know, they were so a lot of these people were laid off and, you know, unemployment hadn't kicked in. Even if it did, you know, it didn't matter because they were only getting a certain portion. Of course, you know, it, it was just it was just terrible. So it went from sixty five thousand dollars a month, to about thirty thousand dollars a month. And the cash that I had set aside, you know, for the rainy day, um, I burned through that in about 40 days. So um, it wasn't long until the this six million dollar portfolio I had lost about two thirds of it in about eight months, and I had built that I had built in the previous ten years. Jeez. Now, were you able to sell them or or not? I mean, these are. I mean, it's 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 because you didn't you didn't have a lot of equity, right? And so I guess that's maybe one of the issues was, um, you know, highly levered, you know, in rough neighborhoods, economy starts to tank, some of the rentals that come in, and there's just nowhere to go. Right. You know. Well, keep in mind, back in that time, it was a liquidity crisis. It really was. It wasn't a real estate crisis as much as it was one of liquidity. So, if you had cash, if you had li- li- liquid assets, you did pretty well. Yeah. You know, you just needed to be able to weather the storm. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting, Mark. I, I think like one huge difference right now, at least as things sit today, and this may change, but at least as they sit today, there isn't that same liquidity crisis right now. I mean, right. I'm still seeing banks lending. You can you can refi properties. You can get access to money. Um, they actually seem pretty interested in lending. Um, and maybe that's, uh, they feel the need to based on getting bailed out 10 years ago. Um, but that does seem like a huge difference between the last kind of recession and this one is we don't really have lending problems. We don't really have, it's, it's really a short-term job problem is kind of what I would classify this a little bit different than the last yeah, it It is different. And the fact that um, there is still a very strong demand for housing. That's what's interesting. Maybe this is a run up to the peak. I don't know. Maybe six months from now, people go, oh my gosh, you know, Dolphini said that it was going to be a peak and there was, you know, I mean, I'm going to look, I'm going to look brilliant, but yeah. um, you know, when I'm, when I'm wrong, no one, no one, uh, no one forgets when I'm right. No one remembers, <laughs> but, but, um, but the thing, the cool thing is though, is whatever it is right now, we still have an inventory shortage. There is still a very strong demand for housing and there's a shortage for housing. What I think is going to end up happening though, is there probably is going to be a little bit of flattening just because people can't, they, I mean, if they're not getting revenue in, if they're not getting income in to pay for, you know, they're, they're, where they're living, you know, they're going to start doubling up and they're going to, you know, sleep on couches and do what they have to do. Right. right. Which is a lot of what happened back in 09, you know, people were getting foreclosed on and everything else. Well, these people still had to live somewhere. So they were living with family. They were living with friends. They were, you know, couch surfing. They were doing the things that they had to do. But, you know, the reality was, you know, it, it was a, it was a much more oversupply of inventory. 
I mean, it just, uh, our, I, I live in Lafayette, Indiana and in Indianapolis. Uh, I think the, the last time I checked their supply was down to 40 days of supply. That is incredibly low, incredibly low. Yeah. So, you know, if you have properties, you know, that are sold, that are priced well, priced appropriately, they will sell and they will sell very, very quickly. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? That, uh, you know, I guess, and that, that really helps you get out of trouble is the ability to sell an asset. Or I guess where you faced your problem 10 years ago, you weren't able to sell the properties because no one was buying. Yeah, that's right. So I did end up losing a lot of those properties, you know, the the, the contract sales and everything else. And, um, you know, I'm again, keep in mind, I was piecing all this stuff together with very little money down. So I didn't have a whole lot of cash. And um, it was, it was just a disaster. So what really, what the real bottom was for me was, you know, I'm working these, you know, 18, 20, 20, you know, sometimes 24 hours in a stretch, grabbing naps here and there, you know, wherever I could. And I was 30, I don't know, I was, I was in my uh, mid thirties at the time. So I was pretty healthy, but you know, when all this started crashing down and then all of a sudden I got sick, you know, stuff that this catches up with you, you know, it always does. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't too long before I got sick and I got really sick and I got double pneumonia. And I, the only way I could breathe was put pressure against my chest and slump over the back of the chair. And I was like, man, something's really, really wrong here. So I got to the hospital and I said, hey, look, I'm really having some trouble breathing. Like, you know, they, they said, OK, we'll put you in this triage room and uh, we'll get someone come along, bring your breathing treatment or whatever. I said, OK, that's fine. So they set me down. Now, mind you, I'm like I'm diminishing quickly. Like, like I'm, I'm like starting to mouth for air, like a fish out of water. And I'm, and I couldn't like call anybody cause I'm in this locked room. This is a, basically a, a brand new hospital. So I'm laying there and I'm thinking, man, I hope someone comes here soon because I'm, you know, I'm starting to get, you know, I started to feel my fingers tingling and my feet were tingling. And then the room just started to close in. And I was like, holy crap. Like, you know, it, now I'm seeing just just this tiny little dot of light out in the distance as my vision is coming, coming in. I literally, this is where I'm going to die. I literally worked myself to death, you know? So I was surprisingly calm through all of this. And I was just th sitting here thinking about this, like, you know, all the people, all the things that I didn't get to experience, all the people that I'll never see again. And because I literally almost worked myself to death. Obviously, I came out of it that someone came in the room, saw that I was in a pretty desperate state and, you know, got this mask fitted over my face and got me this breathing treatment. But I had to spend three days in the hospital because I had double pneumonia in my lungs because and, and the nurse or the hospitalist came in and said, someone who looks like you, you know, you're, you're healthy, you're young. Someone who looks like you does not have problems like this. You need to really examine your life and see what you know, something's going on that you need to get real intentional about. And I was, and that was the wake up call I needed. So it was that time where I had a really hard, and of course my cell phone, I had, I couldn't answer it. I mean, people may have been calling. I didn't, I couldn't do anything. I'm in the hospital. Right. And that's when I got some real serious about what it was that I needed and what I needed to do. And it wasn't about working harder. It was about being smart about it and what it was I needed to do. And that's kind of what birthed the the VIP method that I wrote about in my book, The Time Wealthy Investor 2.0. So what would you say? I mean, so you kind of like rebuilt your portfolio. 
um, focused, you know, on these like kind of single family home buy and hold rentals. I don't know. I guess give me like the biggest change you made from version one of Mark Delfini to version two. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, Well, coming out of this, I think first and foremost, I got very, very intentional. I got very deliberate about what I was doing it for in the first place. And when I mentioned the VIP method, the VIP method is the vision infrastructure and process. And really V is the vision. That's, that's the reason why I'm doing it. Like, like people would say, you know, if I get a coaching client that comes to me and they say, you know, I'm like, well, you know, what are you trying to, what are you trying to get to? What do you, what's your, what's this all for, for you? Well, I really want to get a hundred rental units. Now I understand why I'm the landlord coach. I get it. I understand why people would come to me with an answer like that. And then I, but I almost always challenge them and say, really 101, you don't want 101 because 101 is better. Right. <laughs> right. And then, you know, or, or I'll go the other way. 99 won't get you where you want to go. Right. <laughs> you know, and well, 99 would work, you know, and then, and then I'll back it down. Like 97 wouldn't do it. And I'll, and I'll continue on that until they realize that it's not the, it's not the number of units, but what they're doing is they're confusing the number of rental units that they have with the life output that they think that that will buy them. So for me, because I was no longer stuck on stupid, now I just, I had one really clear vision about what it was I was trying to accomplish. And that was first and foremost, I needed to live. (laughs) I needed to get out of the hospital, right? And when you focus on one or maybe two things, but when you focus on one thing, it's really amazing how you can just start to get really intentional about following and getting that one thing. And for me, it was about getting healthy. So I got healthy and then it was like, okay, well, I got that. Like, okay, got out of the hospital. I was getting on my feet after a couple of weeks, you know, blah, blah, blah. But of course I had to be careful because you get pneumonia once, it's easy to get again, right? So now what is it that I'm trying to do? Well, now I needed to stop the bleeding. Now I needed to figure out how I can keep what, what I, I, I still had not lose anything else and really get intentional about what it was that I was trying to, you know, like, okay, well, I can stop this. But again, what's the life output goal that I'm trying to get here? Okay, well, I, you know, basically I'd been, I had been self-employed for so long, I knew that I was unemployable. So I was like, okay, I got to figure out how to make this work. So really it was about, okay, well, I need this amount of revenue per month. I need, you know, I don't even remember what it was at the time. It wasn't a lot. It was like $4,000 a month to pay all my bills. Okay. How do I get $4,218 per month to pay my bills, right? Now I have a number. Now I have a number, a real direct number to shoot for. So to answer your question, it was about really getting in super intentional about very deliberate about what it was that I wanted. Then I could basically reverse engineer a business, put systems in place to deliver that vision for me. That's the infrastructure and process part of the VIP method. Yeah, I love that. Um, You know, instead of just being fixated on more and more and more, fixate on, on truly what it is that you need to be happy, which, you know, ultimately that's the goal of, of investing, <laughs> right? Is to <laughs> increase our happiness. And yet so, so often it's not really talked about. And, and I always say, you know, one of my kind of core beliefs is that oftentimes you have to work those crazy hours, unfortunately, I think, to kind of learn some of those lessons yeah. and to learn and, and, and to ultimately simplify things. Right. Uh, and, that, and I think that, that that course that you took, you know, I, I guess in an ideal world, you wouldn't have had to go through that. But I think that's like a, actually a pretty normal trajectory, right, for, for an investor or anyone is to like, you know, start off, you know, where you have some time, then build, 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 
And then all of a sudden, finally, there's an awakening of like, whoa, what are we doing? Right. And then they start to simplify and cut things down. But I think it's just my own, I guess, you know, in an ideal world, you wanted to do that. But I think it's always, that seems to be the way it usually goes. It's really hard to um, kind of go there direct. There ends up being this kind of up and down path. So, okay, so cool. So, so now you manage your own portfolio, but also manage other people's properties. And, and, and I, I guess one of your keys to success is probably just all about your kind of systematic approach to the properties. Is that, is that fair? Yeah. And during that time, I also became a student of business. Even though I had been a business student at Purdue, I needed to become a student of business. And I would encourage you know, your, your listeners to, you know, that's, that's something that is it's fundamentally different when you look at that through a different lens and you say, okay, that business runs well. What's it, what does it do? And that's the problem with infrastructure and process is that it's hard to notice unless it's broken or non-existent, <laughs> right? You know, if the toll boot, if the toll uh, gate doesn't go up and down, that's part of the infrastructure. You're like, man, the toll gate doesn't go down. It's, it's broken. But when it goes up and down like it's supposed to, no one even notices it, right? Right. So, or or you have to wait an, addition, an additional, you know, 15 hundredths of a second for the thing to go up. You're like, come on, man. You know, why is this thing taking me, right? So you get mad when it's delaying you, when it's not working the way it's supposed to. But when it does work the way it's supposed to, there's no problem, right? That's so... That's the beauty, but it's also kind of the detriment of having a really good system that, that operates. But look at and look outside of real estate. Look at other businesses that run well. Look at look at Starbucks. There's, I promise you, there's probably a very well-running Starbucks by you. There may also be a very poorly running Starbucks by you. Find it, look at look at that. Find out why, what, what's going on. Try to peel yourself back look at it from a, you know, under a microscope and, you know, look close and then come back and look close and come back and say, okay, well, what is it about their, their process that's working well? And then all of a sudden you become a student of business. You know, one of the books I was, that I, that I again, I was reading a lot of books during that time. Of course, I still read a ton of books, uh, but one of my favorite books was The Checklist Manifesto by Atul Gawande. And they talked about, you know, how, the processes or, or, or problems rather are broken into basically three categories. You have simple problems, complicated problems, and complex problems. And when you can put the, and this is about putting checklists and stuff like that together, but when you can start to identify that there's some problems that are fairly simple, kind of like a cake recipe, right? Um, you know, that's, that's not a, that's not complex. You just follow the instructions. You might have to learn a little bit of skills, but generally it's not hard to do. The, the, the complicated problems are really more like, you know, in, in the book, it talks about, you know, sending a rocket to the moon. Complicated, and it may be more than one individual can handle, right? And I think that's kind of where property management kind of, or, or you know, managing properties kind of lands into. It's not really simple. It is a bit compl- complicated just because you've got some things that you need. There's, you've got interrelated systems that you have to handle. And then there's complex problems, which is like raising a child. Right. Just because you raised one child does not mean that you can raise another child, you know, to be successful just because they're different. Right. There's lots of different things going on here. Right. So, you know, I think somewhere between complicated and complex is where property management and managing properties lands. But most of the time, it's just a series of simple problems. And I think that many times investors make it way too complicated or make it way too complex because they don't they don't have system. They don't have any systems in place. And they're just, all they're doing is running to the latest fire 
and they look at their bank account and realize, oh, no one's paid rent this month. Let me start calling some some tenants. Like that's not a way that you should be managing your properties. They need to be systematic and very intentional. Um, you know, whether it's through checklists, property management software systems, accounting software systems, whatever it is, there's lots of different ways to do that and, and not make it overly complex. Mark, do you have like a maybe a, a tangible example, something that kind of stands out as a good example, something that, you know, before you were kind of running around, you know, with a chicken with no head, I guess, and, and then kind of in version 2.0, a, a better structure of, of maybe, just, maybe just one thing that, that, you know, listeners can kind of get their head around of, of a change you made. Oh, yeah. I, but one that I, I but it's one I write about, I wrote about in the book and I talk about it in, if I'm at a live event. This is one that saved me literally hours per day, and I didn't even realize how impactful it was until I started doing it. So for those of you who have rental properties already, and if you ever have a vacancy, you'll realize like I literally weep for our future sometimes because I would run an ad and I would list all the things that are relevant in the ad, right? You know, the price, the location, you know, no pets, you know, deposit, right? I'm listing all the stuff in the ad and they call me and they say, Hey, I'm calling about your, your, your rental. I'm like, okay, great. And they're like, how much is it? You figure out how to dial a phone number, (laughs) right? And it's in the ad. It's like, it was literally, you had to look past the the amount to get to the phone number. So I'm like, all right, maybe they just wrote it down. Okay, whatever. So, all right, it's whatever. It was a thousand dollars a month. Okay, great. And then they ask, they, they continue to ask all the, the same questions that was in the ad, right? So finally, I was like, okay, so this was super duper frustrating. But the thing was, I was answering all the same 10 questions all the time on these phone calls. And in most times, these phone calls would take anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes out of my day as I'm trying to run around, you know, collect rents and doing everything else that I was doing, right? So what I did is I put together an automated, and I got this through, um, at the time, it was called uh, Grasshopper, or I think it was Got Vmail, and now I think it's called Grasshopper. But all I did was basically have people call a toll-free number. That toll-free number went out in all my marketing. It was this 877 number. They called, hey, thanks for calling. If you're interested in the property, lo- you know, in property located in Lafayette, press one. If you're interested in property, property in West Lafayette, press two. Okay, so it automatically started to separate people when they called in. Then it says, okay, thanks for our Lafayette area properties. If you're interested in, in the property at 123 Main Street, press 801. If you're interested in, you know, for, and I would do, give a brief description for $1,500 a month, you know, at 123 Main Street, it, had a, it has a three bedroom, two bath and a, uh, and a fenced yard, press 801. So I gave them like a real brief description. And I would give a brief description from most expensive to least expensive. So you kind of have an automated way about upselling, but you uh, most expensive to least expensive properties. Now they hit 801 and guess what they hear? all those same 10 questions that I was answering when people would call. Hey, you know, if you're interested in this, blah, blah, blah. And then if they were interested, they would press zero. And by the time when it came through on my phone, my cell phone, and I, you could limit the hours, which was really cool. I had a vetted person that was ready to see the property at that point in time. It saved me literally, I, I mean, I'm not kidding when I say it saved me probably two to three hours a day just from, especially when I had a lot of vacancies. So that one thing, putting that one piece together, now it it took a little bit of time to, you know, put it 
you know, to, I had to voice, do all the voiceover stuff. Now I pay someone to do the voiceover work. I don't even do that. Now, you know, when it gets to my leasing agent, because I don't show any of the properties, when it gets to my leasing agent, she's getting a, a well-vetted, you know, ready person that's already ready to talk, uh, set an appointment. So that right there saved me hours per day because I found an automated way to answer people's questions and get them on and off the phone as quick as possible. Because when they're on the when they're on the phone, tell me about why they were evicted because their you know their cat's whiskerectomy and their you know all this other stuff that's not relevant. <laughs> it was driving me absolutely bananas. We're wasting so much time. So that one thing alone saved me ungodly amounts of time. That's awesome, Mark. One thing that I I have a belief on, and and your your story here kind of comes to mind, which is. As technology continues to get better, I, th- I had this fundamental belief that actually landlording gets easier and more profitable. What, what are your, your thoughts on that kind of overall thinking? Yeah, I think you're right. I think if, if you're doing the right things, and I think what, this is why I think it's so incredibly important, number one, to have a vision about what you're trying to accomplish. Because if you don't, it's easy to start wandering off, especially, you know, let's, let's face it, as entrepreneurs, you and I both face this problem, right? But especially in real estate, because real estate is so highly distractible. It's so easy to get, you know, chasing 99, 19 different things. You know, when you, catch, when you chase too many rabbits, you catch none of them. But when you have a real clear vision in terms of what it is that you're wanting to do, you can start answering questions for yourself to say, should I, should I put this in place? Is that going to save me some time? And, and again, can I buy back some of my time with this piece of technology? I 100% agree. I mean, I know right now the self, self-showing self lockboxes are a big thing, right? I don't like them personally because I think I like a personal touch. I'm not saying it's a wrong approach because in some markets, they're very well received and that's fine. It's just not an approach that I want to do, right? I don't mind paying a little bit, a little bit extra to get a, a personal touch because again, if we get the move in right, and we establish a rapport with those people up front and do it well, then we can keep those people in the properties a lot longer. And that makes a big, big difference, not just for me as an, you know, as an investor, but for, for our investors as well that we're managing properties for. So to answer your question, yeah, I think, I think leverage the right way with the right focus. Technology is the answer to making this, this business much more profitable and, uh, and not such a time suck. So I think back to the, the phone tree example that you gave and, Unfortunately, it's a fair amount of time to set up a system like that, right? Whether, I mean, whether you manage one property or 10 or 20 or 50 or 100, you right. know, the, the phone tree concept that you just laid out, I mean, it, it sounds great. Um, you know, our, our prime management company, we have a pretty intricate um, phone tree. And yet, you know, to set these things up and set them up right and do it, there's a fair amount of setup work there needed. And I guess that's, that's probably what, a lot of what your stuff comes down to is spending the time to set up the systems and process that fits the life that you want to have, as opposed to just, you know, randomly kind of going at it, I guess. Right. And, and and that's kind of the one takeaway I have from a lot of your stories here is that it sounds like before you were just, you know, problem comes up, whatever that is, solve problem. And usually it's Mark (laughs) Delfini solve problem, right? Right. Like, you know, uh, door's not working. Mark fixes door. Right. You know, uh, as opposed to creating some structure in place that allows you to actually have a life and, and it's not just you solving all the issues. Yeah. And to that point, there's a lot of people out there who are learning, like there's a lot of gurus, a lot of people that you can learn from out there. And, and 
a lot of the stuff that's out there is actually quite good. Like every now and again, I'll come across, you know, I, I'm, I bring, I'm seeing a lot of the same stuff that everybody else is out there seeing. Um, you know, I'm a student too. I'm still a student, even though I coach other people, I'm still a student. I still am a student of business. I, I'm not, not the one with all the ideas, but it was really cool. I might come across this tactic, whatever the tactic is, right? It's like this guru comes along and says, I've got the best tactic that's going to make you a million dollars a month, you know, blah, 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 right? They, 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 right? That's what they're going to teach you. And I'm not saying that that's a wrong approach, but I think the VIP method, the VIP method is a top-down approach. Start with your vision first. Find out where it is you're trying to head to. And then if a tactic fits in with your vision, if it makes sense for you, then you can you can do that, right? Like I have people that approach me all the time to sell some lotion or potion or whatever on you know Facebook Messenger, right? I just people, hey, you'd be great at selling whatever. And I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. But no, I I don't want to do that. It's not in my skill set, it's not my interests. You know, if I could say, oh, hey, all you have to do to make a million dollars is knock on 10 million doors. No, I'm not going to bloody my knuckles. You know, there's way easier ways to do it and much more enjoyable ways for me to do it, right? That's why I say like the, a lot of the tactics that are out there aren't bad. They just might not be in your skill set and in your risk tolerance and maybe what you're what you're good at, right? So that's why I like, you know, the tactics themselves, you know, just get clear in terms of what it is that you want to do, what you want to accomplish, figure out the price to that you need to pay and then pay the price. That's awesome, Mark. I want to I want to end on one topic. Obviously, COVID's going on. You've worked through a a, a, a different kind of economic disaster than the, than the current COVID. But look, I, I I still feel like there's some people out there right now who are in some pain, um, whether it be physical health or just stressed. I'd, I'd like you know just you know a couple thoughts that you may have of how to go from being in a really tough, tough spot to kind of getting through the other side? Because I think there's probably some people who are, who are feeling that right now. I think you've got to get real clear on, on just one or two things. I think if you try to chase too many rabbits, I, I keep bringing that up, but if you, if you try to chase too many things, you're just not going to get there. And I have, um, I have a coaching student who um, is fairly new to me but he's stuck right now and he's really stuck. And I think now he's getting to the point where like, I've been reaching out to him a couple of times and he's, he's avoiding me. Um, but I'm pretty persistent. Um, but that's the thing is, you know, if, if you're feeling stuck, you know, get someone, get help, get someone who's going to help you get unstuck. And, and sometimes that means you have to make a little bit of an investment in yourself, yeah. which means, I used to say, you know, I don't think everybody needs a coach, but you will get where you want to go a lot faster with a coach. I, that's kind of what I said. I was wrong. I think everybody does need a coach. I think if you, the, the highest level performers that we see out there have coaches, Michael Jordan had a coach, Tiger Woods had a coach. I mean, Tom Brady has a coach. I mean, all these people have coaches because we can't see our blind spots. We can't see where we're weak. You know, you need someone to check your six and that's why I changed that because I have a coach and I pay him a thousand dollars a month and you're damn well when, when that, I mean, I pay enough to where it hurts to kind of go, Ooh, a thousand dollars. Yeah. Okay. I need to make sure that I, I schedule a time with my coach. It hurts if I don't do that. And I have that commitment. Um, when it stops hurting then I'm either making too much money or it's, you know, I'm, I'm not being really intentional you know, about, about the type of coaching, but I would say 
you know, even if you're, you're, you're really hurting right now, find a way to get someone that's going to mentor you, but it's got to hurt. It's, you've got to have some level, you got to have some skin in the game. And whether that's, you know, if someone's going to coach you for free, that's fine, but you've got to have something that, that you stand to lose on the other side. If there's people who are, you know, just financially struggling and they don't know they're like, that'd be great, but I can't keep the lights on. How am I going to pay, you know, pay for a coach? You know, there are lots of ways out there where you can be helping to get into real estate, like bird dogging deals for other people. There's lots of liquidity and there's lots of deals still happening, you know, but if you've got an abundance of time on your hands, you can bird dog a lot of deals for other people. If you just walk around your neighborhood and I mean, a really easy way, this is super duper easy way where you can say, okay, you see those bandit signs that we buy houses, right? Everybody sees them, right? Drop that number down. You see another, uh, you see a vacant house and you call that number and say, hey, would you be interested if I bird dog some deals for you, right? Okay, what do you have to lose, right? Now, I mean, they might go around you, but you just find a way to, and maybe you make a, a quick 500,000 bucks on bird dogging deals for people, yeah. especially, I mean, that's, that's a really easy way to where you can start making some money and, uh, and, and help get yourself out of this financial, financial hole you're in. Get creative, man. Get, get other people in your corner to help you get That's creative. A question, um, on the whole, and I think your coaching thing is, is spot on. It's interesting when you, when you bring up people like Tiger Woods, having a coach or Tom Brady, it's kind of like, well, yeah, of course they do. I mean, of course they have a coach. Right. But then, you know, I think about like, uh, being a top end real estate investor, it, it's the same thing, right? And you're, you're trying to be the best. If you're trying to be the best, you, you're, you're probably need a coach. So I really like that analogy. But one question I have is what are your thoughts on structuring a coaching relationship around equity? Be that a, a company or be that um, real estate investing, you know, as opposed to cash when, when maybe someone doesn't have the cash up front. Right. What, what are your kind of thoughts on, on using equity as a uh, means to kind of uh, compensate a coach in a scenario. I know there are some coaches that'll do that. That'll take an equity, you know, deep part in the deal. You know, if they're going to do deals like that. I mean, I think it's okay. I, I think, but it's got to feel real to you. It can't be this like, you know, mystic thing that just yeah, I gave him an equity thing, no big deal. Like it has to, in my opinion, it has to hurt. It has to sting a little bit. So if that to you would be enough motivation to say, okay, I'm going to give him a piece of this equity, but you know, let's say, Hey, I'm going to give you 50% equity in my, in my personal house, in my personal residence. Mm, that could be enough to motivate you, right? Like, Oh crap. If I don't do what I'm supposed to do, this guy could take my house. Okay. Maybe that's enough for you. You know, it was funny. Um, a, a friend of mine who was a, he, he had said to me one time, he said, imagine if, you know, whatever motivation, you know, you're struggling to, to find motivation for somebody. And they said, imagine if, uh, you know, you had a, you know, you're in addition to this financial piece, but you had to write a check to your least favorite political person, right? Political candidate. And you posted that check on social media and you could not explain why, if you right? don't hit your goal or if you don't, you don't uh, if you don't hit your goal, right. If yeah. you don't hit your goal. So yeah. imagine if you, if that was the downside. So imagine all this motivation that had to, that had to go into that. I mean, things like that, there's lots of ways to motivate people, but all I would say is to answer your question, as long as it's going to motivate you, then fine. If it's not going to really be enough to motivate you, it's not going to be enough to, to sting. Then I'd say it's probably, it's you find another way to motivate yourself. Yeah. Cool, Mark. Well, man, thanks so much for 
talking us through your story. Uh, so inspirational, you know, now uh, you've got an awesome portfolio of single family homes. You've definitely gotten the other side. You have a successful prime management company. Um, if folks want to kind of reach out to you and, and hear more about, you know, different tricks that you've learned in, in real estate, what, what's a good way to reach you? They, they can always reach out. Um, they, I'm happy to have a conversation with anybody. And if it's just a, we'll do a free strategy session. I'll spend some time on the phone with you. A lot of times we can just, I mean, I, I'm not a salesy person. I hate to be sold. So it really truly would be a strategy session. Um, anywhere from about 45 minutes to an hour, drop me a line. You can get me at uh, landlordcoach.com. There's a, there's a contact link in there, or just drop me an email, mark at landlordcoach. Um, I'm also on Facebook at my landlord coach. Um, or again, you can just reach out to me on Facebook at Mark Dolphini. Well, uh, hope all is well in Indiana. Hopefully you're staying safe and healthy. And uh, it seems like you're rocking and rolling even through this pandemic. So yeah, it's, it's good stuff. Definitely. Thanks, Chad. I appreciate you having me. Cool. Thanks. And we'll uh, see you guys next week. Thanks for joining us today. I have one more request. If you like this show, could you just please give us a review on Apple Podcasts? I'd really, really appreciate it so more investors can hear about us. Follow us at Real Estate Hackers on Instagram if you're cool like my wife. And if you have a great real estate hack, hit me up. Maybe we'll get you on this show. Real Estate Hackers is an on-air brands production. Eric and team are unbelievable. Thanks for all you do for the show. See you soon.